This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Common Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm Dave. And I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today it's a bit of a special episode. This is our preview to 1982. The machine has asked, nay demanded that we provide context to our listenership Mm. and if there's Mm. one thing dave hates it's context but he is forced to do this (laughs) each year (laughs) i hate knowledge knowledge is the worst yeah who wants to know things so of course we need to give a big thanks to our patrons over on patreon their contributions help us continue the show since the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies plus each month we do a bonus episode over there now before we get into talking about 1982 i can't believe we're actually in 1982 look at these old cars outside this window of the studio i'm excited that in the future that concept car for the hyundai electric vehicle might actually look like the cars we're looking at today looks exactly like this yeah Mm -hmm. boxy boxy leather terrible gas mileage you know nobody Nobody knew what the concept of aerodynamics yeah. was yet. Do you see that sign over there, Dave? I mean, we're in Canada, so you'll have to do the conversion in whatever country you're from. It's 30 cents per liter to fill up a car. Wow. Of course I would go anywhere. I wouldn't care. You know, people laugh at me, but I actually remember a time when it was 48 cents and people say, no, that's impossible. But I'm pretty sure in the early 90s, it was still under 50 cents a liter. When I was growing up, it was in the 30 cents per liter to fill up yeah. your vehicle. Yeah. Yes. God damn it. In Alberta, maybe on Ontario, it was even more expensive, but... Well, we were probably in the 40 cent mark, but now it's 130 cents. So uh, OPEC can go fuck itself. We're not political here. To, to you know, progress our story, this deep and rich fiction that we right, have. We right. have Back to the commandeered uh, like a bit of a studio space here to, to record our things with. I don't know. It's like just a lot of space in this kind of like abandoned warehouse area. In a warehouse. Okay. That, that we're in. The one one real big positive, this is 1982, I can go to the corner store, and at the very least, we're right before new Coke is announced. So we're getting <laughs> real Coke here, baby. <laughs> Gross. Good stuff. Ugh. People didn't know about diabetes yet, but uh, Kyle, you just got to cut out the pop, buddy. If you're, if you're in your 20s, you probably have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> but look it up. New Coke was a thing that lasted a few years. Yeah. I prefer Crystal Pepsi. Actually, you could argue that Coke was a big thing too in the early 80s, wasn't it? <laughs> what are you talking about, Dave? <laughs> Ugh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let's go. Let's go. I have a show to do. Dave, we can take some educated guesses. Yeah. On what we're going to be watching this year. Okay. We don't know the order because the machine doesn't let us know that beforehand. You mean they don't have the spreadsheet that you provided they me? Don't have, no. They okay. don't have a spreadsheet. Right. Like, the machine does not give us the spreadsheet right. or access to it. We're going to do one of each of these two categories. Like m- most looking forward to, least looking forward to. So what is the movie you're least looking forward to talking about? in the upcoming year oh well uh probably half of whatever the machine chooses because i'm sure i've never heard of half of the films i mean that just seems to be par for the course so far you haven't (laughs) you haven't heard about beastmaster dave the beastmaster sounds like it might be uh Mm -hmm. fun here let's look at the non-existent list i don't know i at least is hard because uh i don't have a thought of a movie that I hate. You know what mm. I, I'll uh, I'll stick with is uh, any horror movie because I have a oh, feeling God. this is going to be a big horror movie year. So uh, slashers were the big thing in the eighties. That's where it really started to uh, pop off. Gross. Um, I think uh, just this is just me remembering old Siskel and Ebert episodes. I would watch nerd, but I forget if it's like nineteen eighty four. So it's before like it's just cresting right now. 
But it's like 1984 or something like that, or 1985. There's like 30 slasher movies made just by Hollywood. And like that is bonkers. Yeah, just the bonkers to think about. People just needed to see the blood. What year, what was that? There's a movie called, is it Summer School or something? Yeah, there's Summer Camp and then there's Sleepaway Camp. Is what it, yeah, uh, well, no, I'm, there was a comedy, so-called comedy. It had a bunch of these young 80s actors, but the whole mm, thing right, was right, right. Uh, two of the burnout dudes are constantly trying to make a slasher flick while they're mm. at summer school. But I'm just realizing this is probably why, because the mid-80s was all about oh. watching uh, young women get cut up by a gross dude. Nice. Well, well, we'll have lots to talk about when we get to that section of we the year, We did talk I'm about sure. cocaine already, right? Right. We did. We did talk about cocaine. And for me, I know that 1982, this is again, going just from old Siskel and Ebert episodes and my mind being like a bear trap of like things that they talked about. I know that in 1982, there is a movie that stars the famous tenor Pavarotti, Luciano Pavarotti. If you Pavarotti want to was name. in a movie? Okay. Yeah. He stars There's in a no movie called- There's no way he's a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> no, no way. But I mean, I mean, have you watched opera? They're not very good actors. Anyways, um, <laughs> great singer, yeah, great singers, amazing yep. singers. But he starred in this movie called Yes, Giorgio or Giorgio, uh, right. which is supposedly one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> so I am probably least looking forward to that. Curious to see if I agree on like just how bad it is, but I I kind of assume there's going to be a, a million dollar duck situation where I'm just going to be like, can I just fast forward this because this is really bad? But who knows? Ready. Maybe maybe I'll be a contrary opinion and be like, this is actually a hidden gem and people should reevaluate this movie. I'll be ready with my stop button. Uh, Five stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> Probably at some point it'll be reappraised as we're learning is a thing. Right. People didn't appreciate it in its time. It's genius. Yeah. Gross. See, because it's bad, that it meant to be bad, and therefore it's yeah. good. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Dave, you cannot say uh, Blade Runner, but Blade other Runner. than that movie, what movie are you looking forward to the most to talk about? Uh, no, it has to be Blade Runner. If we're not, I mean, 1982 has a lot of bangers, so it's it kind of hard. Yeah, there's going to be a few weeks where it's like we're on a run, probably of just like, oh yeah, classic film or very popular film, like bang, 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 bang. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we have the arguably best Star Trek film coming up with earworms. Oh, there's no, we, there's no arguably about it. It is the best Star Trek film. Nerd. Uh, we've got First Blood, which is mm-hmm. uh, one of the best early 80s PTSD movies of all time. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian. I mean, that's great. It's a stupid movie, but we get to see young pre-English speaking Arnold. That's yeah. going to be fun. Grace Jones. Das Boot, Gandhi. I mean, this is, I mean, you, the only thing I was looking at, because I was trying to convince Helen to join us, is there's no rom-coms. I don't know if it's going to be later in the year. What? Which, but, but which officer, name one? But an officer and a gentleman is supposed to be very romantic. It's not. It's not. That okay. is that uh, Richard Gere? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is, right? Richard Gere. Yeah. Isn't that the one with Louis Gossett Jr. where he makes him do yes. push-ups in the rain? What so. is romantic yeah. about that? Sure. <laughs> you, that is kind of true, though. Huh, that's actually, I, I, hadn't, I even thought about that. There is not a whole lot of like, quote unquote, like romantic. There's comedies in this yes. in this list. Yeah. But yeah, romantic comedies, which would become, a, I think, a bigger thing, maybe, maybe in the like 90s. the mid to late 80s or something. Yeah. I'm thinking. But even oh, yeah, if you no, look no, at like, popular Sally. movies from 82, like there really right. isn't. Yeah, maybe later, maybe later 80s. But yeah, so I was kind of disappointed uh, with that because uh, I thought mm-hmm. I could strong armor her into being a guest but i don't think she'll watch any of these movies are you are you trying to tell me that death wish 2 <laughs> is not a romantic movie porkies maybe <laughs> so as far as ones i'm looking forward to i'm going to cheat too and give you two i actually because i've never seen it i am so curious to finally watch porkies for the very first time oh you never watch porkies like it. oh yeah, yeah i'm not gonna like it i know straight good. up i'm not gonna like it but at least they now be like when people bring that up and I know my little trivia thing is like most successful Canadian film of all time because <laughs> it was well, filmed in Canada. A lot uh, of people that Canadians. need to masturbate. So, uh, and then I'll be like, but also fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong with a bunch of uh, preteen guys that want to peek right. at girls in showers? It's important. Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, I will say this. There's no winter and uh, the sex is not that weird. So I'm surprised to find it's a Canadian film. Yeah, frankly. I guess that's yeah. true. 
Maybe there's a director's cut we can find. A, a blood violin <laughs> in it. Yeah. The other big one I, I just have to say is probably going to be E.T. for me because, I mean, yeah, we, we talked about Spielberg early in his career. This is him, like, finally coming into his own, really, like, after the success of Jaws. And for, f- uh, gosh, I don't remember, five, six, seven years, E.T. is the biggest box office film of all time made had yeah. made the most money of any film of all time for so many years this is back when you could have a number one film for like 16 weeks yeah <laughs> at the box office because people just kept going back and back and back and back to watch the same film over and over and over again anybody's a fan like any young person is a fan of anything jj abrams or stranger things or anything like that yeah. that this is where that tone comes from yeah <laughs> this is really Amblin, right? <laughs> that Amblin logo of E.T. kind of flying in over the moon. So That's right. All right. Well, there are some other big ones, of course, coming up uh, that I'm excited about. You know, we have Sophie's Choice. Like I've that. never watched The Thing. Oh, you've never seen The Thing? Yeah. That's I mean, weird, you're going right? to probably hate it too, but it is a great movie. I think it is a brilliant, <laughs> great horror, gross out movie. <laughs> All right. Um, which is very reminiscent of Alien, if you like, if you like Alien. So. I do like Alien. I'm actually in, uh, looking forward to watching some early Jackie Chan with Dragon Lord. I think mm-hmm. that might be a fun movie to I've watched to a lot into. of Jackie Chan, so I know yeah. what to expect. You've never watched Das Boot, which I think is never shocking. Never seen Das Boot, no. Yeah. Again, these are all names of movies I know about, but have never actually sat down and watched. Uh, but then there's going to be some good ones to return to, like the uh, the children's block, if we want to call it that, like of Dark Crystal, Secret of Nim, The Last Unicorn, all super depressing, non-upbeat children's <laughs> films. No rom-coms. People were very, they were, kind of, they were uh, burning out from all of the, you know, mm-hmm. stuff happening in the 70s, which we saw it was depressing. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't become happy yet, apparently. You know, it struck me the other day. When we were planning for this, I was four. So uh, I've watched. I, I was not born yet. I watched so out. many of these movies, but I have never seen any of them in a theater. Correct. So my yeah. experience of all of these is either VHS, cable TV, or, you know, DVD, Blu ray, depending on, you know, Blade Runner. But. Uh, well, that is also. That's actually a really great thing that I hope we kind of return to every so often because I'd be the same way that all of these movies would have been something that I saw. At home on a CRT television from yes. VHS. CRT televisions are so hot. My impression of those movies is like colored by that and maybe not the quote unquote most optimal viewing experience. Like Porky's in Dolby Atmos must be a banger. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. You can't believe the sound of the squelching. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, what, what I'm saying here is like for things like The Thing or like the original Halloween, I think part of what made those so iconic is the fact that you couldn't really scared. see into this darkness. You couldn't yeah. see into the shadows. You can turn it off. It, it made, yeah. yeah, it made those things a bit scarier because it was like a little bit fuzzy and you can see it when it becomes like super 4K, like high resolution um even though there's still greatness to be had there it's like oh but this doesn't remind me of the like mm-hmm. i had to pause it and it was like all wavery and i tried to see what was going on yeah, and yeah. i think i think it does impact it and for a lot of those cable television ones it would have been pan and scan it would have cropped off the edges so it's like oh i've never seen this in widescreen before yeah i remember that was a big thing i used to argue with people this is how i always knew i was a movie nerd mm-hmm. i would almost defriend unfriend anyone who didn't understand the benefit of watching a widescreen version of a theatrical cut. Because people are like, well, it just doesn't fit on the TV. I'm like, well, that's because they cut out the fucking movie, you assholes. That was another Siskel and Lieber thing where they took to people to test. Like, let me show you side by side how much movie you were actually losing. Yeah. Widescreen versus the Or they do that uh, cheat pen. Because sometimes pan. you have, yeah. yeah, you have like two, two people, people talking. They did that in Last Crusade. If you watch the cable version of Last Crusade, it's this weird like boom, boom, back and yeah. forth between him so and um, Connery. Yeah. This actually brings up a really great point about how wild this is boomeranged. Because I was the same way. I had to tell people if I put like movies on my Christmas wish list or birthday wish list, it's like, not get make the, sure yeah. that it says widescreen. Because <laughs> if it says yeah. full screen, I'm returning it because it's not yeah. the right version of the movie. Because they would sell them both both ways. There's nothing full about full screen. 
That's right. Right. It was like, oh, but there's black bars on the top and bottom. I'm like, yeah, because I can see the whole <laughs> film. Because you have that a way. shitty TV. Yeah, that's right. But that's kind of boomerang the other way now because now everything is widescreen. So widescreen movies actually fit your screen and old TV shows and actually even old films, which were mm. filmed in four by three format, have the black bars on the left and right. So now they're re-releasing like widescreen versions of those things. Again, cutting out the top and bottom. If you watch Seinfeld, for instance, on Netflix right now, it is a widescreen version where it's cutting off the top and bottom of the image. And in some cases, in episodes, you can't actually see what they're pointing at or, or looking at because it's cropped so much out of it. It's so wild to me that people have such a thing about black bars. We, I, I don't even know if it's black. Yeah, uh... I just think that as a species, I was going to say culture, but I think this is just a thing. The nature of an experience is questionable for the mass, right? Uh, mm. Like if you look, if you go to the Louvre and you're expecting the Mona Lisa to be like 10 feet perfect, tall. Perfect pronunciation. 10 feet tall mm -hmm. and you go there and it's this tiny thing. A lot of people will be upset by that. And so now we have these fucking ridiculous immersive experiences where you walk, pay 50 bucks and you walk into a room and they shine a Van Gogh on a, you know, 50 foot wall mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be awed by that. But that is not what the painting is. So it's fundamentally not a Van Gogh experience. I think that's just something about human nature. It's why, you know, they're art snobs, right? We, we, we want the uh, essence of what the artist intended as opposed to what will uh, feed general expectations so i don't know i agree with you i, I like i was watching i was so worried that the cowboy bebop netflix re-release would do that because i've seen dvds yeah. where they crop it but they had the uh foresight to just leave it as it is and it looks beautiful leave it as it is yeah yeah we just need more moxie we need we need people to fight back and just let it breathe yeah. Yeah. Next, I will go on my rant of how I hate that most modern TVs by default have this feature called motion smoothing turned on. And I think it makes everything look awful. Oh, 60 frames per second. They're reinterpreting footage. I turn it off every time I go to my parents' oh, place. Geez. I take the remote and turn it on. I like, know, I man. I cannot watch this <laughs> with this turned on. I almost got into an argument with my brother once because he bought a... This is, you know, 15 years ago. But when that first motion blur shit came out because it's mm. trying to produce uh, 30 or 60 frames per second and i got into this big argument with him. and i was like it looks like live action version of a shit film like you can't you can't watch this and he's like what do you mean it looks better and then i had to leave the room because it uh, it does yeah. not <laughs> it does not i still don't like when uh new filmmakers shoot at that frame rate for their digital films it bothers me right. a lot uh, you know we're old-fashioned kyle we're spending so yeah, much time in old. the past. Well, luckily we're still here in 1982. Listen, Dave, let's go thank some sponsors. And then when we come back, oh, we'll shit. jump into a little bit more about setting some context for the year 1982. I thought we were done. How much Coke is too much Coke, uh, Dave? <laughs> how, it, can you feel your heart with your hand through your shirt? I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure my heart is actually vibrating my entire soul right now, Dave. <laughs> You know, are you sweating? Are you sweating? Because you're so excited. I mean, so I'm excited. always sweating. That's my superpower, <laughs> Dave. Well, I guess I should tell everyone that Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Uh, I get to talk to you today about Park Power. Oh, which was updated on September 14th, it tells me. Well, that's good. That's exciting. Of 2021. Just so that of 2021. Clear. Correct. Mm -hmm. You know, Dave, in Alberta, in this mm -hmm. province that we are currently mm -hmm. sitting in. Yeah, give it to in me. In the country of Canada. Which country? In the, in the continent of North America. Nice in Alberta. Uh, we went you back get to choose. stage, yeah. <laughs> you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, the Royal We. So it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. That stands for Canada. There, you know, Alberta, if there's one thing Alberta 
prizes. It's the concept of local. It really does, I think. It's a bastion of its own values. I'm not even being ironic or sarcastic. It's something we noticed when we moved here. It's just all local. Everything's got to be local. We don't like foreigners, Dave. Yeah, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. I'm going to talk about pod power, not park power, but the power of pods, Kyle. Mm -hmm. With pod power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. Again, local. In this episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to your forest. I don't think we've done this in a while, eh? Do you know what it is? Tell me about my forest. Uh, sorry, it's no, sorry, your, your forest. forest is a mm. podcast about the natural world. They will help you hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. Is that like the book or no, it's probably talking about nature. Find Your Forest wherever you get your podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. Oh, you mean forest like the trees, not like the gump. Not gump. Oh, we could start another podcast. I mean, what else should we do with our lives? (laughs) That's right, right. It's a Forrest Gump fan cast, (laughs) 35 years too late. (laughs) The way he tilts his hat is a metaphor. We'll go minute by minute through the movie, Forrest (laughs) Gump. (laughs) We're here talking about uh, the state of the movie industry and some context around 1982. So, Dave, I have a bunch of points that I've written into our little shared document here. I'll just turn my mic off here. Which is like almost two pages full of text here. So you have to, of course, interrupt me. It's not that important. If I get too loquacious. All right. Ooh. (laughs) I like that word. Yeah. It means wordy. First things first. People. It means wordy. You could have just said pretentious. So first things first, state of the industry, the, the movie going industry of 1982. So you'll remember, of course, that we just spent an entire year going through 1971. And uh, the top 10 films, at least people that were going to spending money on, was kind of a mixture. We have some Hollywood type films like James Bond and Fiddler on the Roof, these kind of big budget movies that they were hoping people to come and see, but also mixed in with these more like thought-provoking films like The Last Picture Show, Carnal Knowledge, but then inexplicably Willard. You, you know what? That yeah. movie was watchable even for you. That's the shocking part. <laughs> Ugh, gross. Rats. But even though the, that was true in the early 70s, by the mid-70s, Hollywood was changing. I mean, this is kind of Hollywood lore now at this point, but you can probably know what was the first movie that kind of shook things up in the mid seventies, Dave? I bet you can guess. Uh, no. Specifically, nineteen seventy-five, Out in the Water. Uh, no, I got nothing. Okay, it's Jaws. <laughs> Jaws becomes like I just the keep waiting because biggest... you've been talking about Jaws nearly every other episode, but that's yeah. okay. It's like but Jaws like is like this movie. This, it's about a fish. It's this. <laughs> it hits at just the right time. Really changes the way that. Hollywood a promotes films, releases films, as well as kind of is the start of what we now consider like the summer movie season, mm. where there's just like blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster that's released for you know the twelve weeks of summer. This of course explodes even further in 1977. Dave, what movie came out in 1977? Mm. Jaws two. Jaws two: The Revenge. No, it is. The, Your most reviled film. The one you no. hate more than any. Yes. Star Wars. Star <laughs> Wars, of course, hits and literally like blows everything figuratively and, uh, and not figuratively. No, you get, yeah, you got to amend that. Cause what is that? Did it blow everybody, Kyle? Is real, that, I was going to say out of the word? water. I was going to uh, say out right, of the water. Right. Figuratively and like literally blew everything out of the water. Oh my God. Elevates geekdom to this like next level. And again, this is film historians going through this, but you really start at like, that is a time where you start to see like, quote unquote, those types of movies be the ones that are hitting big and like Mm. more like adult oriented movies increasingly becoming less and less quote unquote profitable. Like they're just not getting in the top 10 unless there's some weird anomaly where there's crossover potential. 
there's a reason behind this though. I was I really did some digging on this. I'm like, I wonder kind of what this is. And as soon as it is pointed out to you, it's like, oh, of course, of course, that makes sense. Of course, of course. Which is at the end of World War II, you know, 1946, um, the war is over. And what do people like to do when war is over, Dave? Uh, stop killing. Correct. They make babies. They like to make <laughs> lots and Would lots and lots and lots of babies. There might have been a boom of babies. There might have perhaps? been a boom. So some people will quibble a little bit on exactly the start and end dates, but essentially from 46 to 66 is what most people will consider. We're this is like the massive baby boom. People are just smushing it. <laughs> and of course, all the men are completely shut down because of the horrors that they saw and probably shouldn't have had kids in the first place. But regardless... Not, not a great parenting the, age. Yeah. No. PTSD. The, the, the first wave of those kids... Yeah. Would have been becoming teenagers in the early 70s. to mid 70s. Yep. And then the second wave of those kids are going to be becoming teenagers in the uh, beginning to mid 80s. It kind of makes sense then when it, when you break that down like, oh, okay. So there's just a ton of kids. There's a ton of kids that are available. So two things smoking here. Smoking a lot of grass, man. Smoking grass, of course. But more than that, you have kind of this perfect storm because of the economic boom that's also going on with the baby boom you're getting all these kids a lot of kids being comfortably at least middle class to upper middle class who especially in the summertime what do you do in the 70s and 80s you go to the movies sex right oh sorry yep go to the movies movies cost like two bucks i can go and watch these over and over and over again it's not that much money that my parents can't afford to give me an allowance or i can even have a part-time job and i can go and watch these movies over and over and over again and the whole idea of teenagerhood too we should also put a fine point on it because they are starting to drive what hollywood is making specifically was kind of a relatively new thing like as far as like being marketed to a teen or a teen audience one of the other podcasts that i listen to and we've had both hosts on here as guests is scream scene who's going through every horror film ever made And here just this past year, 1957 is like the first time a teenager is the star of a movie, even though even back then they were actually 20 something. But still, a teenager is like the lead in a movie. It's marketed towards teens. And so they understood that this was a market to to promote to. And then by the 70s and especially into the 80s. That is who's going to see these movies. That's who is constantly going to watch them over and over and over again. uh, Have the time to do that. And is influencing what is being made. You know, I guess one thought I had was we, you know, we were lamenting in 1971 how we've lost touch with these more philosophical and challenging mm-hmm. films. But thinking about the demographic today in 2021, the teenage area are not actually, in my understanding, going to the theater. And we have right. a population starting to age out because the birth rates are declining. I wonder if, you know, in the next 10 years, we'll start getting those challenging films that are marketed towards adults again, because um, kids are on YouTube. Everybody wants to be a TikTok. Well, TikTok's going to be dead but in 10 years, but you know, everybody <laughs> wants to be a social media star. And we're seeing content delivered there that lasts less than 10 minutes. And the idea of a 90 plus minute feature, the only people interested will be you and I, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, I don't... Um... This is the topic that keeps coming up on our podcast. The more I think of it and the more other things I listen and read, I'm actually becoming increasingly more pessimistic about that future. I don't deny two things you said there. Yes, teenagers slash kids are not really anymore who's driving, going to see things. Tickets like They're either waiting for them to come or watching on their phone or enjoying YouTube or Twitch or TikTok. Like That's kind of where their media consumption is coming from. By and large, I'm sure there's, again, of anomalies course. here. And yeah, there. yeah, yeah. At the same time, I think even adults who now have like their fancy TVs and everything, I think they're less and less wanting to go out to the theater as well and spend their 20 bucks when it's like, well, I can just wait. I can wait for it to be here on my oh, other sure. fancy TV. So yes. I think what we'll see is less films being given a theatrical release People will go and see the big, big budget things because like, yeah, I can I can make the argument that this is going to be a better experience, quote unquote, on the big screen. And uh, those smaller adult films will either just go directly to streaming or like an independent theater will do like the niche within a niche that that's going to drive people to go and see. 
we're already there. There's nothing to be pessimistic about that. That's the post-COVID reality. People realized, yeah. yeah, you don't need to watch. I haven't seen it yet, but you need to, you don't need to watch Nomadland in a Dolby mm-hmm. Atmos IMAX sure. theater and pay you know fifteen to twenty five dollars forty apparently if you want a cushion seat and uh, well and I alcohol. do need the rumble seat when I watch Nomadland. There's no <laughs> way. baby. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't need the uh, dead technology of aromas. At the same time, like, I know that, like, for instance, like that new Macbeth movie from right. one of the Coen brothers. I was just thinking about that. Just came on Apple, right? Yeah. Which looks gorgeous. I kind of would like to see that on the screen, but I can't sure. justify it when I'm like, I can five seconds be watching that on, on my TV right now. But well, I think that would in- look gorgeous up on a big screen. Yes. But keep in mind, too, like, if you go to Costco, screens aren't small anymore. <laughs> Sure. I mean, you can get a 70-inch TV for like under, well, maybe a thousand bucks now. Whether it's good or not is irrelevant. They tell you it's 70 inches, but it's really closer to 50. The nature of the idea of a big screen has changed too. You know, there are sound bars that, I mean, it's different. It's like talking about going to a restaurant or making a good meal at home. Yeah. But we're, we're approaching that age where that line is blurring. You know, we might be in some kind of AR shit where we're not even in our living room anymore when we watch these sure. things. But I was just thinking more about the marketing rather than the the, yeah. the CD. I think they, they are intertwined. And so a big blockbuster, the one that's going to attract people to pay the 15 bucks and sit in a room full of COVID uh, has to be a large, it has to be an Avengers. I mean, why? what, what movie would you uh, want to be in a huge, huge environment. Like we watched Ghostbusters scared the shit out of my son. But as a movie that's designed to be in a dark theater, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. with the volume way too loud and all jump scares. That would not work on a TV. It would be laughable on a TV. Well, and- that's the thing. And, and, and we should probably bring this up more in our main reviews of like how you watch a movie, I think, impacts how you react to absolutely. it in the first yes. place. But I always go back. Blockbusters, absolutely, I think, need to be seen in a theater. For instance, presumably... I still am not holding my breath. Is it going to happen? But Avatar 2 is supposed to come out in 2022. Whether you like the first movie or not, I need to see that movie in a big theater with 3D because it's like, it's going to blow my mind and I'll never have this experience ever again by watching it at home. And I get that. I know that that's why I'm going to go and see that. Um, I prefer to also watch horror films with a crowd because I like people jumping and screaming <laughs> while yeah. something's happening on screen. Throwing and I like, like to watch yeah. comedies with a group as well because I think the, the laughs can help out. But they don't make comedies anymore to, and release the theater. So that's well, becoming less apparently they didn't do 1982 either. But this is what I mean well, when I was just looking at the overall trend. I think that I think you're dead on uh, talking with the baby boomer generation. So we're marketing to teens because there's too many of them in the 80s. As they get into late teenhood and all they want to do is uh, find their romantic partners. We see romances blow up into the 90s. Now we're all old and disenfranchised and upset. So we're seeing this depressing trend where movies no longer are fun. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, but every movie needs to have some kind of gotcha moment where they're making you mm-hmm. think that you fucked something up in your life. It's an interesting, uh, going back to the original point, it's an interesting uh, insight. It does make sense. Whether that's intentional, you know, I don't give Hollywood that much credit, but certainly reactionary. Let, let's talk about that because th- this is some other information to know about. So I talked about like those, some of those top movies from 1971. By 1981, here are the top five films in North America. But in in the top five movies from five to one, we had Stripes. So Bill Murray coming off of Saturday Night Live, kind of this new movie star, right? Tapping into that youth culture a little bit of the time. It was okay. Doesn't hold up well. I was going to say, like, the movie is not great, but whatever. Stripes is there. You have Arthur, which is a comedy. You have a comedy film. Yeah. Uh, but starring two two actors that are kind of on the crest of becoming irrelevant, I would say, to the new generation. Except like Liza Minnelli and Dudley Moore yeah. are not yeah. like super are household nerds. names. How do we know that? We were, you know, I, I, was, I was three. Stupid. All right, keep going. Uh, Superman 2. So you can start to see <laughs> I don't mind superheroes becoming yeah. a thing. Yeah. Three gets bad. Number two, this is the outlier was on Golden Pond. So Never seen it. It's great. It's actually a really good movie. I But it's, like, it's Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn. Catherine uh, Hepburn wins her fourth Academy Award for this movie. Is this the one he wins his last one? Yes. And then this okay. is also, it wins Best Picture. So this is back when the Academy Awards would actually boost box office for whoever won it. So that's partly why it 
makes more money than Superman 2. This blows my mind. And then Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course, is number one. Yeah. Uh, and actually, like, makes double the amount of money of, of On Golden Pond. Like, yeah, it just made so much money. Spielberg doesn't fuck around. That's a... Well, he also, again... It's a genius film. Right place, right time. Right? Like that his, movie like is, like, he was nearly doing. perfect. Right? Except oh, I love for the Raiders. Scene. Yeah, Raiders great. Yeah, melting doesn't hold up as well, but you can put that in theater right now and it's still right. like $100 billion. Yeah. <laughs> What you're seeing here, though, from those are that there are different films for different markets. So you have, yes, the teenagers, they're doing Superman and Raiders. Mm -hmm. Raiders has some crossover appeal, I would say, for like families and stuff like that. But Arthur's your adult comedy with the fading stars. On Golden Pond has the two older actors, like your grandma, grandpa, and parents are probably going to go and see this movie. It wins Best Picture, right? So it gets impacted that way. And then you have the start of this new box office star in Bill Murray, who would be a draw throughout the 80s and early 90s still is still uh, i wouldn't say as much but yeah yeah really the big takeaway here right so we saw this new hollywood in the early 70s right of these new directors and that was who was really deciding what gets made it was the director coming we want to make this movie and because the, the studios are in shambles they're like whatever just do it <laughs> make your thing and we'll figure it out by now what we're talking about it was really the return in North America of the studio film being popular, which is like, we think we know what the audience wants. So let's hire a director and a writer, make this movie. And they were right. That is what people wanted to go and see. Although I do always find this to be kind of like the chicken and egg problem. Well, yeah, yes. I, if that's all you're making, of course, people are going to go and see something. I was say, so. yeah. At what point do they dictate culture, especially with the media? We learned that with the FBI. I was just talking to Helen recently about, uh, we read an article about platonic marriages. That's a new thing happening. Mm. It's probably always happened, but it's like trending and becoming more open. Is that what we're in? (laughs) If we have a kid, (laughs) then yes. And, you know, where does this idea of the idyllic two, you know, um, heterosexual couple with kids. I mean, there's a Christian problem, right? Puritism. But where Mm. does that even come from? It comes from movies, right? Why are North American people obsessed with a house and a picket fence? It comes from movies. It's fascinating. You know, all that stuff. I was having a conversation with our our friend Jen Sanford here recently about proposals. Right. right? And the idea of what proposals are, are so influenced by film and TV because it's like as we both kind of came to the realization well maybe you are the outlier here Dave but like if you are giving a ring like actually doing the bending down giving the ring like that is not a surprise you have gone ring shopping you have had the conversation you're not doing that like out of the blue to someone or at least normal people don't anymore I was gonna say like if you did and it was totally a clandestine thing there's something creepy about that too you know it's uh that's a lot of planning yeah all that stuff is changing i remember when my sister got married and she was telling me that amongst her peers because she's uh cool and i'm not uh it was very normal for people to have a separate sort of civil ceremony on the side where like nobody's mm-hmm. invited and that's just because of the legal aspect and then you know having a party at a separate convenient date for a group of people the nature of these ceremonial things has changed a lot this article brought up just quickly, you know, normalizing heterosexual relationships, you only get like tax breaks. You get like financial aid to be heteronormatively married. Mm-hmm. And that might be one of the reasons why it's been such a struggle for uh, queer and homosexual people to get the same rights because, you know, these big companies don't want to give you, the governments don't want to give you money. You know, yeah. uh, we get, even when we were common law, we were getting some uh, benefits. That well, I mean, it's fascinating. That's one of like the bogus things from homophobic groups. Well, what's preventing me from like marrying my best friend just to get these tax breaks i'm like well who fucking do cares it. i don't yeah. know <laughs> like, don't do marry your best friend <laughs> get, get a tax break that's your problem buster yeah. do people stay, still say buster we should start no, saying no. buster more right bring it back okay that that'll be a you thing um <laughs> here's some other things that were becoming more popular in the 80s so nudity was becoming even more common in the 1980s we saw a lot of that in the 70s but i like, don't know is it yeah, I guess more boobs. From the article I read, they like they ran the numbers, and apparently, yes, as a as an aggregate, there was more nudity in eighties films than any decade before. Because we saw a lot of boobs, we saw a lot of boobs. Ratings needed to be adjusted because mm-hmm. of some movies that were going to come up, not necessarily nineteen eighty two. PG thirteen would become a rating in nineteen eighty four. So right now we're still in this weird category where it's like you either are X 
R? No, R didn't exist yet. It was either X, G for general, and I think there was a PG. So like, there's only those are the three ratings. So there was nothing to no, differentiate. Like you can't go from X to PG. It is. There was some there, weird. No, it's got to be something because X had. was a band. There has to be. Are you sure it's not R? I'm just looking it up here right now. No, you're 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 correct. So there was the four ratings of X, R, PG, and G up until the mid '80s. Something that we did not really cover in the year 1971 was in 1971. That was the year with the all-time low for theater attendance. Huh. Yeah. Now, not that it's gone like drastically up since that time, but yeah, 71 was literally the low point. COVID has now caused other issues with that number, but uh, up until 2019, 1971 was the lowest attended year for film. We learned why. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on, Billy Jack. Billy Jack. We get so much hate. From old people on that YouTube video. It's incredible. <laughs> I think it's the highest amount. It out dislikes Death in Venice, surprisingly. That's right. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, they can stuff it. Okay. <laughs> because the attendance was down, the amount of films that the studio were releasing were cut in the late 70s. In fact, from 1974 to 1984, the amount of films released by Hollywood combined uh, each year was 81 movies. So each year... 81 movies were released uh, by all the five big major studios or what I call what came out on Netflix last week. There's so much stuff that gets released on the well, streaming. Doesn't that nowadays. counter your argument of the studios kind of leveraging control of films in 1982? Not really, because they they are the ones writing the check. So they've reduced the amount of films that are doing it. So they're actually very much like being very targeted. Like, cause if you run the numbers, that is, again, there's five major studios in the early, in the early eighties. And yes, right. some minor studios around, but the five major studios are like Paramount, Columbia, MGM, Disney, and Fox, um, or I guess Warner brothers would be in there somewhere combined. They are all making 81 films. So that's mm -hmm. less than two films each week that is coming out from five studios. Yeah. Nowadays, you cannot go a weekend, even in COVID, that three movies usually are coming out each weekend on, right. on, on average. Three mo new movies are coming out Whether each weekend. Whether you want so, them or not, they're coming. Right. So yeah. that's, you could have conceivably, conceivably, gone and seen every movie that Hollywood released <laughs> in a year well, in a theater. Actually, you know what's interesting? It just brings up that other article I read a couple years ago about how up till, what is it, 1995, a human being could conceivably have read every book in publication, and mm. now it's impossible. It's not just the movie industry. There's a proliferation True. of shitty content in principle, because we have so many creators now. Look at YouTube. Dot, 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 no response. Yeah. Here's some other things that, have, that had been happening in the industry here, though. Because they were now in this constant search of the next blockbuster, something that they're still kind of doing and on rocky ground, 1980. There is something disastrous that happens, and it's called Heaven's Gate. And no, I'm not talking about the people who drank Kool-Aid. I'm actually, I'm talking about the movie Heaven's Gate, which cost $44 million to make, which would be $148 million uh, in today's dollars, and it only made $3.5 and it killed United Artists. Like, it tanked the studio. Poor Charlie. MGM would go would buy United Artists and then it would eventually get sold off. Did we talk about this else. movie before? Is there somebody in it that we? Yeah, I forget who who which um, yeah. actor is in it, but it's Michael Samino uh, uh, who directed uh, The Deer Hunter. Is who right. directed that movie? They're a little bit gun shy. The studio has just tanked, and so they are ripe because they've had this really kind of like limped along throughout the seventies as far as making money that all the multinational corporations are coming in and just buying up the studios. I mean, a single AI runs Warner Brothers now. A lot of people have forgotten about this, but in 1982, Coca-Cola bought Columbia Pictures. So for a few years, Coke owned Columbia Pictures. And you can read the books on that about like how disastrous that was. Mm -hmm. Like what they decided how to get made, how they screwed over certain people. It's Coke. This is how Ishtar, <laughs> talking about Ishtar. And actually after Ishtar, they sold it off to somebody else. So it's actually a blessing. in, in <laughs> Maybe it could be. Yeah. They realize how actually how hard it is to run a media company is basically what Coke discovered. Sure. It's like, oh, you don't just buy this and money flow in. Uh, Viacom would buy Paramount. That would eventually become to what we have today where Disney owns their own media library, but also Fox. AT&T owns Warner Brothers. Amazon is rumored to be in the process of buying MGM. Uh, Sony owns Columbia. 
Viacom still owns Paramount. And then that says nothing about some of the minor studios that are also getting bought up by other multinational corporations. Yay, oligopolies. Yeah. yeah, like, and that's the that's the kind of the sorry the issue here is independent studios just making stuff. It's now multinationals making that, which is always why it's just as an example. Is Amazon going to make a film that is critical of Amazon? Probably not. It's also why Apple, not to throw my previous employer under the bus, why no evil person or like the bad guy in a movie will use an Apple product in an Apple made show, which makes it really easy to to know who the killer is. In most wow. Apple shows, because yeah. they don't use an Apple product. So I don't watch movies of that nature, because right. I'm a nice so person, Kyle. It gets yeah. this weird thing of like corporate structures, like, well, you can't say this, or we, we can't be bold, or we can't speak out against mm. X, Y, and Z. Well, we can uh, do things like make Jennifer Aniston the focal point of COVID, a fucking stupid show. I sidled the oh, morning show. Oh, you mean the morning show. Awful. What a weird season two. What a deep dive off a cliff I thought yeah. that show went on. I actually like season one. I only side-watched it. Season, one, season one's good. And then I side-watched because Helen was trying to fight through season two. And as soon as Jennifer Aniston went on that thing about being sick, I was like, I can't, I can't even believe, I can't believe what I'm watching. Well, A, it's like, why did you say like, this is what people wanted to watch? I don't know. But even like from episode one, when you have like the person like sneezing so in the background, yeah. but then it's like, wait, what is happening? Why are they doing this? Oh, like, I couldn't believe how bad it Poorly got. Written. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyways, that's the state of the movie industry. Culturally, there are some other changes coming as well. So 1980, we have Ronald Reagan elected as president and starting his first term. Trump wasn't the first. There's Trump wasn't the first, weirdos. not the first actor. I will, I do think it is important to be clear that at the time was generally well liked. Like he was sure, yeah, a yeah. very popular president. Still is. And, and he is in many circles. But I would say that talking about like reevaluations, Reagan has definitely been reevaluated, I would say, from like a modern historical perspective. And the secret is every US president will be. Because they're all a bunch of fucking psychopaths. True enough. But Except I think, Jimmy Carter, apparently, who's a saint. Yeah, who's the, a saint, apparently. And the rest of them are all running uh, cartels essentially underneath i i think just the the big thing is that well war on drugs is the big one which didn't work but also lifting restrictions on uh on certain industries so that is why you have like ceos making a thousand more times more yeah. than their employees yeah. like there's there's Food things that have impacted yeah. our lives now kind of started here in the 80s also by the way it should be pointed out he fucking hated homosexuals yeah so yeah. there's gonna be that that i'm probably conservative gonna, values man yeah. That's yeah. that's important. We can't lose that here in the locally grown Alberta conservatism, <laughs> baby. Yeah. No idea what you're talking about. I think we, uh, some other big things that are going to impact just the entertainment industry. Apple computers started in the late 1970s, as well as like the whole like personal computer thing. Video game consoles were starting to be sold. You would have had your Ataris and stuff like that before the video game crash of 1983 and then being brought Tron. back to life from Nintendo. Tron fucked it all up for everybody. But I think, honestly, the biggest story, like the Mm. biggest story that is going to impact what we are going to be watching in 1982, whether overtly or or covertly, is AIDS. AIDS is the biggest story. May 18th, 1981. This is when, in the gay newspaper from New York City, uh, called the New York Native, that was what the newspaper was called, May 18th, 1981, is the first time anybody reports on, hey, there's this thing that's happening that I think we should be talking about. It was not called AIDS at that time. That would come much later. But they could, So they could only refer to the symptoms of the, of the disease. But I think Fran Leibowitz kind of has the best quote on this, where she said, like, the effect of AIDS was like a war in a minute country. Like, in World War One, a whole generation of Englishmen died all at once. And with AIDS, a whole generation of gay men died practically all at once within a couple of years. She would also go on to say more provocative things than that. But, I mean, the, uh, the biggest thing here is, like, from, like, 81 to 83 to 84, it's hard to really put into context, like, just how many people died all at once in create and mostly gay people and taking out a lot of like the creative force. And I think you can see people wrestling with that as they see their friends dying. That's kind of what they want to make is either analogs to that or hitting it straight on. You know, with all the conspiracy theories, kind of like coronavirus of where these super viruses are sourced. It is interesting to uh, think about not just, I mean, it impacted uh, homosexuals at the beginning for sure, but it's rampant in, you know, third world countries and the black community in America. And, you know, there are class structures and economics and political things that are involved. It is, uh, it is weird. All of it's weird, man. 
this is where I always give my pitch to for everyone to read the book Spillover, which I think is like this really great deep dive into the few times we know that a um, virus or at least a, a, a disease has jumped from an animal to humans. It's a great book. They, they end off talking about AIDS. It's like it's not that we can like say for sure this is exactly what happened, but they have pretty good idea of like how it actually progressed from where how it came over. So it's, yeah, it's a fascinating history to read up on that. I think the, the most eye-opening thing for me is I understood like this took a toll so much in the 80s. And yes, there is like programs to get on now. It's not a death sentence anymore. Like there's some great advances we made. To wrap this up, where does that leave us then? So we have like these huge cultural things that are happening in like the US, North America. We have all this stuff that's going on with the movie industry at the time. Final thoughts as far as like how this is impacting what we're about to jump into. Yeah, I think so. All your points are, of course, valid. I mean, they're all grounded in studying this stuff. It'll be interesting, for example, we, th- we saw this in 1971. How long does it take for cultural experiences to permeate or, or uh, show up in media, in film? And just looking briefly at how many of these movies I've seen and whether I associate them with what we're talking about, you know, watching them again to be such a letterbox nerd and and kind of like reevaluating them will be interesting with this new perspective. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see themes of this nature in Conan the Barbarian? I somehow doubt it, but also maybe you know maybe there's Conan a populism. Is very gay. Well, I'm just saying maybe there's a populism uh, underneath it and some of the decisions that they make to build these I, films. So. Yeah. We'll see. I actually really want to bring this back up. It'll come up before then for sure, but specifically for the thing when we talk about that, Mm. because John Carpenter, you can say like, I'm going to like English major thing, but John Carpenter has literally said that up front. Like, yeah, this was because of AIDS. (laughs) This is why I made this movie in part. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So I'll... It doesn't uh, ever say that that's what it's about, but like that is the subtext that's going on. You know, it'll be interesting too in this light. I mean, we're going to watch... A very poorly reviewed Clint Eastwood movie, but it, mm-hmm. you know we're still in an era where there are openly conservative pol- political leaning creators, and maybe we'll see a schism there where you know yeah. a, a so-called left-leaning production will try to bring up subtly some of these problems, and a right-leaning will become something about papering over the cracks and old-school Americana. We saw a little bit with John Wayne and some of these. Um, yeah you know, whatever you want to call it, archaic even, American idealism. So maybe, but so many of these are also kind of big budget. Actually, now I'm thinking of like First Blood and... I can't wait to draw First Blood on both of you. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Let's see. I, yeah, I'm excited to, like, to do the reevaluation, see what we see. And the last point being uh, VHS was become a bigger thing here right. at this point too. And it, again, impacts how you watch movies, how you what interact movies are available with them, that to sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, and when studios found out like, hey, this is a different revenue stream that we can tap into, like movies that may not have made money in theaters, maybe we can market in a different way to make money on home video, etc. And then we got Blockbuster. People can, of course, get in contact with us on our social media at KDVSTM. You can reach us at our Email at Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You know that this Friday we're going to be talking about Losing Ground. That's our very first 1982 film. Basically, lost until 2015. So it's a bit of a cheat, but I thought it was, a, I mean, the machine thought it would be an interesting way to start off the season. No, uh, talking not that about I've that seen movie. it, but it is an interesting place to start. <laughs> Okay, if presumably right. I've already watched it. Actually, we'll speak to these themes more than any of these other Makes blockbusters sense. will, I suspect. All right, Dave, um, want to uh, get some Coke? The drink? Yeah. I just, I got to find a larger lapel on this white suit I'm wearing coming out of the 70s. So we got to figure this out. They tell you it's 70 inches, but it's really closer to 50.